Did you know that we're exposed to thousands of commercial messages every day? And are you aware that consumers tend to trust what influencers say about brands much more than what brands say about themselves? When brands need to cut through the noise and reach consumers, influencer channels offer an unrivaled space to create genuine, meaningful dialogue and connect directly with consumers on their terms. Welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, a podcast brought to you by Cure Media, a leading influencer marketing company for fashion brands. This is your weekly podcast to understand more about influencer marketing and why it's such a powerful channel when it comes to building trust in your target group. Every Wednesday, we'll cover topics such as how to build a successful influencer marketing strategy, how to measure the effects, the role of influencer marketing in the overall media mix, and of course, the latest trends and insights on what's up in the influencer marketing and social media sphere. And we know you're busy, so every episode is right around 15 minutes. Perfect to tune into on your morning walk, during your morning routine, or on your way to and from work. Join us and our expert guests to stay up to date and take your marketing strategy to the next level with influencer marketing. The world's fastest growing marketing method. I'm Sana Oudmark. And I'm Frida Ekholm. And this is Influencer Marketing Talks. Hi, and welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, a podcast brought to you by Cure Media, the leading and award-winning influence marketing agency for fashion, home, and beauty brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about consumer behavior in the digital age, and of course, all things influence marketing in right around 15 minutes. I am your host today, Frida Ekholm, and I have an exciting guest coming back to us, Chris Beer, data journalist at GWI, a leading audience targeting company for the global marketing industry, delivering insights on how consumers think. In this episode, Chris is back to deliver the latest insights on the hot topic of AI and chat GPT. What opportunities and concerns are AI giving and how will it affect consumer behavior? Hi, Chris, and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, Frida. It's, uh, it's great to be back on here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you back here for a second time. So before we jump into the conversation, could you briefly tell us about your role at GWI? Yeah, for sure. So GWI is a consumer insights company. Uh, we offer the world's largest study on digital consumers. And we help some of the world's biggest brands, media organizations, and agencies uh, get deeper understanding of their audiences, basically, whether that's for advertising campaigns, new product development, and anything in between. And my role there is a, is a data journalist. So I'm pretty much tasked with going through all the data, all the research, and then pulling out the most interesting topical insights for people like yourselves. That sounds like a super fun job to do. So you have a lot of insights and knowledge. Yes, yeah, and I'm hoping that what I share will be useful for you and your listeners today. Yeah, definitely. 
So let's get into the subject of today. So we're talking chat, GPT, and AI. And I think it's a good way to start. What is chat GPT and how are people using it? For sure. So I think the, the easiest way to think about ChatGPT is essentially a really, really smart chatbot that you can talk to and can answer your questions in what seems like a very natural human kind of way. Um, you know, when I use it in my work, I tend to think of it as a really smart, friendly intern that doesn't need to sleep. <laughs> You've got your back and call 24 hours a day. And the way it works is it was trained on a, a huge amount of data. I mean, some people liken it to a snapshot of the whole internet, essentially. And the artificial intelligence element comes into play because if you feed it a question, it's able to understand what you're saying, break that down into tokens around, you know, key concepts or the words that you use. Then it looks through all that data it's trained on and uses that to come up with what it feels is the most helpful or interesting answer. And I think the probably the thing to make aware to people who might not be familiar with it, but familiar with other kinds of AI or chatbots is that you know, if you imagine like classic customer service chatbots, they're based on, you know, strict rules, right? They're programmed to understand particular responses. And you probably had that experience of, you know, you're speaking to one and you put in a response that doesn't quite know. And it's like, sorry, can you put that again? I don't quite understand that. But the way ChatGPT works is it's good at sort of understanding language and it can read through most natural language, basically. And that's what helps it give more flexible and natural responses and leads to often more helpful conversations a lot of the time. Yeah, and that's where the AI comes in to the picture, right? Yes, so it's the, the technology of the science behind these things is, is quite complicated and you know, you don't but you don't need a, you know, a master's level knowledge of deep learning or neural networks to to go through it. It's essentially just better at understanding human language. Um, and it, you know, it's it's quite interesting because AI as a technology is is quite old, but the technology of large language models that ChatGPT is built on, that's quite new, the idea that you can use artificial intelligence to understand connections between words um, across a whole volume of data so that, you know, if, if you asked it to, to simulate a podcast interview, for example, it'd be able to go through, look through all its data at previous podcast interviews and think, well, a person being interviewed about this would be likely to say this. And that's what generates such a natural response. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I, I've myself started to use it like a lot and now just for like copy and ideas you know when you just need to like get your like brainstorm going or you need some uh, native English touches to English text because when you're not native it's very hard to get that you know the extra touch and feel of a text mm. and uh, there I found it myself very helpful yeah, for sure. It's, it's, you know, it's similar for me, I think. And certainly what we see through the research is that idea generation is one of the strongest use cases. You know, I think we all understand it's quite scary to look at a blank piece of paper and thinking, oh, I need to get some ideas on there. So just having something that can prompt you and give you a starting point, I think people find incredibly valuable. Yeah, definitely. And it's very interesting because both AI and ChatGPT continue to gain a lot of traction and press around the world. And they, they have sparked both excitement and a lot of concerns. What are the main concerns surrounding the use of ChatGPT and AI, would you say? So this is a very interesting question. I, I want to put a bit of context here because 
we've been researching AI for a while at GDY because it, the, the technology is actually quite old. Like it's always been around in some form, like going back to the, the 1960s, you know, long before, in, you know, different guises before large language models and chat GPT came along. And I remember doing a study in, I think it was January 2018, where we asked people how they felt about different kinds of emerging technology. So at the time, this was things like AI, self-driving cars, 3D printing, virtual reality. And what was striking then was that AI was the one where people had the most, I guess you call them reservations about the technology. They're excited about it, but they're also a little bit concerned about the unforeseen consequences. And that study took place before large language models. Again, the technology underpins ChatGPT had even been invented. So it goes, and you, you know, we're used to seeing AI in culture and films, you know, maybe AI has gone rogue or, so there's always been this understanding that it's a technology where it could lead to, you know, particularly negative outcomes. But with ChatGPT, that's come along uh, in a slightly new form. And of course, we have the generative AI as well. So, you know, uh, simulated audio, video, these sorts of things. And based on the research we've done recently, it seems like the biggest point of concern is that potential for misinformation. You know, if, you know, if someone could impersonate you or I based on text that we've written before, you know, if you say, you know, produce something in the, in the style of Chris Beer and it sounds convincingly like me. And that seems to be where people have the most caution at the moment. And again, you probably remember the example of the, the Balenciaga Pope from early in the year, which again, isn't coming through ChatGPT, that's coming through a different tool that's more image photography based. But I think seeing all these things in context, I'd say people are aware of the potential for more convincing imitations of real people than ever before. Yeah. And it was a, a big topic like a few weeks ago. I think it was a song that had, uh, I don't know if it was Drake or so, his voice. And they made yes. a whole new song about it. And it was like, okay, what are we doing with this? <laughs> uh, whose work is it? And is it okay to use like his voice? And yeah. Yes, there's a lot happening. I think I think music will be one of the areas where we see those sorts of questions put to the test. You know, I think the president of Universal Music has come out and said, you know, we really need to clamp down on this because no one really understands the laws about copyright. I mean, it's like sampling on steroids, right? The idea that you can imitate any musician, you know, alive or dead and have them sing other people's songs. I mean, it's real mindful to navigate through. And, you know, music's incredibly popular, you know, TikTok is really based around music. So it's easy to imagine these things taking off. I mean, I've seen a few things recently where people imagine uh, the Beatles covering other people's songs, you know, never mind that only two of the band are still alive, which really shows the potential of this kind of technology. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And as you said, with TikTok, I think this the music industry have really gotten like uh, a huge uh, interest. And you can see, or I've seen a lot of... Uh, uh, artists and producers that have like produced the song that people have mixed together. I think it was BB Rexa and um, um, oh, is it David Guetta? I don't remember. Uh, but they actually made the song that people were requesting. Then I don't know mm. like the specific backgrounds if it was a PR um, PR move or so. But it's still like people are starting the trends like we want this song with this uh with this artist and this uh, like uh, lyrics and then artists see like the traction and they make the song so it's very much like the it has switched to the consumers asking for music and not the the producers or artists that comes with the music yeah exactly and i think this is a big big thing this has probably been the big change 
you know, it's not just ChatGPT as, as we said, but since the end of last year when it came out, is that this technology has now become good enough, right? You know, you could find videos on YouTube from a, a year ago where people are experimenting with audio eye, for example. It's like, oh, I imagine an AI to, yeah, create a David Guetta or Eminem song. And you can, it, it's just, it's just kind of odd. You know, the sounds aren't quite right. There's, it doesn't really recognize we look like music. It's just sort of an interesting, funny thing. But now, you know, the music would be good enough for you to just listen to casually. Like it, it passes that bar. And I think it's, it's similar with ChatGPT in the sense that, yeah, people have these concerns and reservations about the technology, but it's also incredibly good. And you, you feel it benefit your own productivity. And, you know, it's something we see consistently in our research is that if something's good enough or, you know, beneficial enough to people, they, they will use it. You know, they may have certain um, thoughts in the back of their mind about, um, you know, the technology and maybe certain ethical questions, if you like. But, you know, for me, I think it's similar to what we've seen with smartphones and social media over the last 10, 10, 15 years. Like we all, I think somewhere within ourselves have certain elements of like, oh, do I spend too much time on my phone, too much time on social media, too much time shopping online? But we still do it because it's so, you know, it's such a improvement to our lives where we perceive the benefit that we keep going back to it. Yeah, definitely. And with the new opportunities that are presented with AI and ChatGPT, what transformations are we seeing or will see in online search behavior? So we we did some research in February. I mean, I think as a researcher, every year you have one or two stats. You know, I call them you know the million dollar insights. We think, wow, this is this is incredible. Like this really shows something big's about to happen. And Two, we found that two-thirds of ChatGPT users said they'd consistently use it over a search engine to get information. And, you know, think about how big the, the search market is. That's, you know, a mind-boggling bit of info, really, and shows how useful people are finding it. And they could understand, well, I could just use it instead of, you know, Google or anything else to, to do what I need to. And I, I do think we're in line for quite big changes there because people find it useful for certain queries. I think we still don't need to be... We need to think through the next stage very carefully and think, okay, well, not all search queries are made equal. Like it'll do certain things better than others. And, you know, I, I did an exercise a few weeks ago where I looked at what I was using Google for and what I was using ChatGPT for. And you think there are certain aspects where, you know, Google or any other search, traditional search engine for that matter is still, still more useful. And I think it's interesting in the context of, you know, buying online or researching. I find ChatGPT incredibly helpful for. You know, it's sometimes called in the industry, I think, the, the dreaming stage, right? A classic example is holidays. We think like, you know, where do I go on holiday? You know, you've got to think about the hotels, the transports, um, the sites you see when you're there. And it's so good. You know, I spent 10, 12 minutes thinking like, oh, if I was going to plan a road trip across America, not that I can afford to do that, but it's, it's something nice to, to think about. You could come up, it's very easy to come up with a budget for it. You could think about the cost of gas, you know, things you might want to see, all these other sorts of things. And it was brilliant for that. But then... You know, I think there's certain hygiene factors with, with shopping online, researching online that we've still got to consider. You know, it's because it doesn't necessarily have great real-time information at the moment. It is integrated into Bing, so it is a bit better, but it's not necessarily good at telling you which things are on sale or just letting you browse through images of, a, you know, products. I mean, I think it will get there in time with the technology, but I think... You know, in in research in the insights world, I think we you know we had the experience a few years ago with smart speakers. Where I think a lot of people made assumptions that you know why why you know why wouldn't you just be say to Alexa, oh you know go and top up my um, you know household supplies? Like it, it just seemed to make perfect sense given the technology. It's so convenient. Why wouldn't you use it? And of course, that didn't really happen. 
So I think it's important that, yeah, there'll be a lot of change here in terms of how people get information, but particularly for e-commerce, I think there's stages we still need to think through about what's important to people when they buy online and how AI may or may not be suited to uh, fulfilling those requirements. Yeah, definitely super interesting insights. And as we near the end of this episode, I would love to hear your perspective on what you consider to be the key takeaways. What did you say? The billion dollar uh, <laughs> facts. Yeah, oh, we've moved from, moved from million to billion now. But I think I think for me the the main thing is just that this stuff isn't going to go away. You know, I think we you know we we both said during the course of this interview how useful we find it personally, and you you multiply that you know, across any knowledge work in any company across the world, you know, I think it's it's going to be become pretty embedded in people's workflows. And, you know, I think it's it's really quite, it's a degree, it's, we know that it'll be very interesting what happens because, you know, we'll have people who use, able to use this technology and develop their own work in such a way and produce new and amazing things that we can't even really think about, you know, how particular individuals might take it up. Um, I think, yeah, certainly on the, the marketer's, and the, you know, the brand side. I think in terms of their own implementation of AI, I think it's important to understand that there are certain reservations around the technology or concerns that people have. So there's some due diligence you have to do in terms of you know making sure that people understand how their data is going to be processed. For example, at the moment, it's a bit like you're feeding it into a black box, a training model. You don't necessarily know what's going to happen. And people do have a few question marks around that. And you know, in terms of understanding how... AI might function within, you know, online research, as I was saying, you think the search, the Google, you know, the main Google experience hasn't really changed in 25 years. It's always been 10 blue links. And I think that's probably been poised for some change, some development. I think that probably will happen. But I think that element of getting people who to trust the service enough that, you know, that they'll put their car, you know, they might put their car details into it and they feel more comfortable with buying. I think that may take a bit more time. And there may be a few more barriers to overcome, but certainly a lot of change is going to come in the next 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it will be interesting to follow how this will impact like marketers, brands, consumers. And I think a lot of brands and marketer, marketing teams overall out there are very new to this and everyone are themselves consumers of it mm. or using it, but still don't really know like what it is, as you said. A black box. Yeah, I think the other thing is we know that there's going to be a lot of AI generated coming because you know we see no signals of that. You know, there's editors of them. You know, science fiction magazines have seen submissions increase hugely because people are just generating more content, more copy. I think it's fascinating to think about what that means for you know creative writing or copywriting within marketing. It's like if there's all of this AI generated content that you know might be pretty good, but it might have certain similar characteristics. How does that change how you stand out? You know, how do you come across as human or how do you write in such a way that people think, oh, yeah, human definitely made this. Like, I don't think this came from an AI. I think, you know, we as consumers, like you say, are still understanding what it looks and feels like. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we're poisoning for an interesting year. Yeah. yeah, and it's very interesting. We at Cure Media have, uh, have our own data scientist team that are working on AI for our platform to help make the work, the daily work more efficient and to help base decisions on data and yeah, all the data that we have historical and so. And it's very interesting to see like how AI can be implemented in different areas. Like mm. there's still, you still need a human right now, <laughs> at least, uh, 
but the AI data can support you to make your work more efficient or quicker or better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's doing side things. It, it democratizes things a little bit. You know, you might have someone who never felt able to turn to writing for whatever reason. They just didn't feel it was for them. Maybe didn't have the technical skills or coding, data analysis, all these other things. They're going to become a lot more accessible to a lot more people, you know, which is perhaps something I should worry about and that a lot more people will be able to do my job. But, you know, it, it, it's quite exciting in a way that, you know, people themselves, I think, you know, they just have greater potential now because they can augment their skills with artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. And thank you so much, Chris, for joining this episode today and sharing a lot of useful insights to our listeners. Now, have a great day. You too, Frida. Take care. This brings us to the end of another episode of Influencer Marketing Talks. If you want to continue staying up to date on our weekly podcast episodes, influencer marketing content, and what's up on the consumer marketing scene, make sure you follow us on our platforms at Cure Media. Also, to not miss another episode of this podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button.